we kind of owe you a massive thank you for actually introducing us because I met Michael at the Fertility Fest at Shepherd's Bush, the last one that you did there. And I met Sarah at the Fertility Fest in person, the one afterwards at the Barbican. Yeah. Leslie and I were outside and we were kind of had several kind of impromptu book signings that we had to organise. Leslie Pine and I, that was a hilarious day. It was so much fun. Absolutely exhausted. I think, Sarah, you and I went for something to eat afterwards, didn't we? Um, with yeah. World Charters Week. And I think I was in the point where I was going to stick my head in in the food and, and kind of go to sleep. God knows what you must have felt like, Jessica, because <laughs> you only had another day to go. <laughs> that, that means a lot to me. That's really nice to hear. Yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Full Stop Podcast, a childless community podcast with Michael Hughes, Berenice Smith and me, Sarah Lawrence. If you're new to the podcast, we're here to delve beneath the surface of the childless identity, to cover what's going on in the wider community and to look at the topics that really affect us. Our goal is to help and support those of you out in the community by sharing the stories and the voices that make up our narrative so that you too can begin to find yours. We also aim to inform and educate those who aren't members of our community so that they too can begin to understand and support those people in their lives who are facing a life without children. In this episode, we were lucky enough to be joined by Jessica Hepburn, author, arts producer and adventure activist. Jessica has written The Pursuit of Motherhood and The Brilliant 21 Miles, covering her quest to swim the English Channel, but also a quest to uncover women's experiences of motherhood and non-motherhood. She was also executive director at the Lyric Theatre until 2015 and was also a co-founder of Fertility Fest, which included a day on childlessness, funnily enough. In fact, if it hadn't been for Fertility Fest, Michael, Berenice and myself may never have met and you wouldn't have had this podcast. We spoke to Jessica about her latest adventure which saw her complete the dream of climbing Mount Everest over a seven-year period, a quest that saw her face into many challenges not least those of returning safely to base camp after a freak accident and the existential legacy she's now leaning into. This episode, I can promise you, will stay with you for a long time. It did for us. No pressure. Oh, God, <laughs> we all go like, oh my God. How are you? I'm very good. How are you, Berenice? You look really well. How do you? I love your dress. Oh, beautiful? well, it's top actually, but you know, very nice. I haven't got my pajama bottoms on. I promise. <laughs> I'm doing yoga pants, but it's fine with paint oh, on actually, because I've been already painting this morning, trying to get stuff done for um for World Childless Week. Because I promise, oh, Beth is holding me accountable to doing some kind of art thing. Oh, and, brilliant! Yeah, which is done. Bindi's seen it, Nina's seen it in the meditation group, it's done. Um, and I finished it off yesterday, but I realised that this morning you're doing something else and picking it up, it's still wet. So I now have um, paint. <laughs> oh my God, it's I am the sort of person who gets covered in paint. You've got, is that bagpuss on your shelf? Mm, yes, it's giant oh. bagpuss. My mum knitted it. Yes. Oh. Yeah. And, um, hang on, where's the... Um... Oh. And she knitted the clanger as well. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. I thought that was, I didn't realize that was a knockoff. I thought that was legitimate. No, my mum knitted it. My mum knitted it. And um, the, the, cla- the, the bag puss was after our cat was put to sleep. And 
um which sounds which sounds heavily sad but there's a funny story to this is that she knitted it in a week that bad puss um oh, for wow. christmas. it was just before christmas a few oh, some time ago now and uh, my dad was apparently trying to trying to wrap this thing and he, he sort of stuffed it into a bin line <laughs> we had nothing else to put it in there's my poor dad late on christmas eve was my mum stitching the last bit up and like shoving it in this bag and so what i got on christmas day was this, this bin oh, bag no, like, what? Anyway, she knitted that for me. And so I had another cat, which is just like the loveliest thing. Yeah, the loveliest thing. Yeah. She's a brilliant mum. She's fantastic and she's an absolute super knitter. And I am absolutely terrible. I can't even make a dishcloth. She tried when I was in young. Knit some dishcloths and they went into the into the thing to wash up and she just came out as a piece of string. <laughs> yeah no, I, I'm not good in that arena either but I have been trying to do some art recently which first time in school so I do I, I get what you're I do feel the sort of you know therapeutic value of it definitely yeah 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 it's been really really good a really good distraction but the trouble is, is that I'm just getting so behind like last night we didn't even have any dinner until really late because there I was doing stuff and my husband's like well do, do, do you want to eat I'm like yeah, I suppose. It's a <laughs> kind of souls. It's good for diet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say, now that is something I never forget to do. Eat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't normally. <laughs> it's lovely to have you with us. Thanks for me. Yeah, oh, it's been best. Yeah. We're all very excited about this as well. Mm, and Sarah, you're just back from holiday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not sure whether to mention that on the podcast, but yeah, I nearly died. Did you? <laughs> yeah, it was um we we were driving along, it'd been very dry. Uh we were reliably informed by the police afterwards that actually we weren't the first accident that day, but we were driving along and then all of a sudden the car left the road and we sort of barrel rolled down a uh an incline. And oh, landed, landed on the roof in a field so uh, yeah pretty terrifying actually so, so what happened what, what, what happened it was the, 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 do you know what the police weren't that concerned they said it could just be that it's been so dry and it was just laying on the surface could have been mud from a tractor or it could have been oil from a tractor but we just we'd had a little bit of a squeaky moment like a couple of minutes before the, the back end of the car just sort of went and I, I looked at my husband and went Ooh, might want to slow down a bit or you know so he did and then we just hit this call and just whoop, off so um yeah fun times terrifying did you have to go to hospital or anything no we literally got out with just uh i've literally got a scrape on my arm and i've got quite a lot of bruising from the, the seat belt um but that was it uh it was, yeah you know obviously the mental stuff you think, oh shit yeah. <laughs> whoa but um, yeah, no, other than that, and the car, I mean, the car was an 09, so it's quite old, but it didn't collapse or anything. I mean, we were really impressed. So yeah, but I've been driving around in a, a 2021 Peugeot 208 that I've fallen in love with because it's like, it just goes, it's like, oh, 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 oh. get very excited. And Jim's going, you, slow down, slow down. <laughs> but no, but I've got to give it back. Your car was a write-up. Your car was a write-up. Yeah, curtains. It was, it was quite old anyway, but um, you can, from the photos we've got, you can see the back the back axle had gone. So it's obviously where it barrel rolled, the, the, the tyres on that side were sort of pointing sort of like that, basically. 
so yeah fun times and Jim was sort of like should we go home and I went no I don't want my holiday ending like this let's carry on <laughs> so we've been mountain climbing and all sorts because it's just oh, like, we're alive <laughs> yeah nothing like Everest obviously but <laughs> No, any mountain is is to be respected. All mountains and all cars and roads, obviously, as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Completely. But, yeah. But no, no, it's uh, it's it was good afterwards. But yes, this isn't about me. <laughs> we saw the pod, we saw the photographs, we've seen the pictures, Michael oh. and I, and I have to say it was um a very sobering mm. to see them. And I'm just really, really glad that you are here, Sarah, and you're with us and um Jim is okay too. You're way, way too precious, and that is a frightening thing. So I mean, from my point of view, just getting back in the car and driving in the car that you don't want to hand back, I think it's actually an amazing thing because it can really just throw people. So yeah. yeah. And I'm yeah. glad that you were carried on on your journey. Um your oh, photographs will doubtless be impressive. <laughs> More oh, impressive yeah. than that one. <laughs> yeah. tell two halves I think that's probably quite true isn't it so it's lovely to have you here because that was really scary to see yeah but I have to say I'm very excited to have you back on Jessica we met didn't we a while ago I've not been on your podcast before this is my first time yeah that's that's back on in terms of this is the second because last time Sarah I was interviewing you for the fertility show yeah 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 We all know each other in that kind of way (laughs) because really, actually, I was thinking how we kind of owe you a massive thank you for actually introducing us because I met Michael at the Fertility Fest at Shepherd's Bush, the last one that you did there, and I met Sarah at the Fertility Fest in person, the one afterwards at the Barbican. Yeah, Leslie and I were outside, and we were kind of had several kind of impromptu book signings that we had to organize Leslie Pine and I that was a hilarious day it was so much fun absolutely exhausted I think Sarah you and I went for something to eat afterwards didn't we um with World Charvers Week and I think I was in the point where I was going to stick my head in in the food and and kind of go to sleep god knows what you must have felt like Jessica because you only had another day to go (laughs) That, that means a lot to me that's really nice to hear yeah yeah if it wasn't for you yeah. You know, there's lots of people we have to thank, but actually you're a critical part of the journey because I think Fertility Fest, certainly all those, all of those events brought people together from different areas. And it was such a variety of people from doing different things. It was, they were incredible events. Very, very powerful yeah. and just lovely to meet people. I mean, mm. Michael, you flew kind of halfway across the world to go there. I know you went other things, but, you know, it's just, well, yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Vicky did say to me, she goes, what the hell are we going to this for? Because when I said, oh, we're going to go to Fertility Fest. And she went, what? What for? And then it wasn't until, you know, we said, well, no, there's a day for us as well. All right, then, okay. She was quite nervous. But before we go off on a tangent, because we have a global audience, let's find yeah. out who Jessica is. And so... Who are you and what do you do? (laughs) Oh, God, who am I? Oh, I'm many things. Um, Well, I I describe myself now, but I mean, I'm always in dialogue with how to describe myself, but I'm currently describing myself as an author, arts producer and adventure activist. 
Um, and to start with the arts producing element, which um, which is relevant because we've just been talking about Fertility Fest, which is, was an arts festival about all aspects of making and not making babies. Um, that was a, um, a festival that I established a few years ago after a decade. Actually, most of my career has been spent in the theatre. I ran a theatre in London called the Lyric Hammersmith for many years. And when I left that, well, when when I was there, actually, I can sort of segue into another part of who I am and my sort of life story. That's a good point. While I was running the theatre in my 30s, I was also um, on this desperate mission to become a mother, going through round after round of unsuccessful IVF, ultimately 11 rounds um, of unsuccessful IVF. Um, and I, during that time, um, I wrote my first book. Actually, this is all segueing beautifully and I didn't even plan it in advance because that's the author aspect of my uh, job title. I wrote my first book. I, I hadn't been a writer. I always say that all I ever did was write like reports for work. Um, but I, I knew at the time, I mean, this is like years ago now, right? This is my book, my first book came out in 2014. So, you know, not long, it'll be like 10 years ago. And obviously I started writing it before that, but I just felt at the time that, um, whilst there are, were other stories about my book is called the, my first book is called the pursuit of motherhood. Whilst there are other stories about, um, uh you know trying to conceive there wasn't there really wasn't a lot at that point about an unsuccessful journey I mean like certainly at the time when I was writing it I didn't actually you know I thought by the end of the book I was going to have the perfect happy ending um when in actual fact I didn't um but I felt it was an important story with like loads of emotional highs and lows and it was a subject that needed to be taught and written about more and you know I do think the landscape has totally transformed now um and hopefully I played a really small part of that in that but my book came out um in 2014 in 2015 I left the lyric and I set up this festival which we were just discussing where you all met in various ways and that means so much um uh, which is called Fertility Fest and it was about bringing all sorts of different artists theatre makers choreographers writers visual artists um, musicians composers together um, to talk about all the sort of many subjects of, of making or not making babies in the 21st century and it culminated um, I mean it grew exponentially um, and so that by two in three years by 2019 we'd taken over the Barbican which is like one of the biggest art centers in the UK and I was a bit sort of like confounded by this I never imagined it would have such traction and I wasn't sure that I wanted to set up a like a, a like an international arts festival forevermore and then of course Covid hit and we had a bit of a hiatus and I've actually made the decision now that it was a three-year thing um and uh and it was beautiful and perfectly formed and like I sort of want to hand the baton on to other people now so that that's a lot of, of who I am I just that feels quite a lengthy introduction already but I just have like another important thing to add to it was just the adventure activism um uh so that's the final part which is that after my 11th round of unsuccessful IVF 
um I like I just decided I need to do diff- something different in my life like I had like lost what felt like a decade of my life to this thing that I call project baby um and I and and I was 43 and I, like I, I've had a best friend from university who'd said to me in my 30s, Jessica, it's all about the number 43. If you haven't had a baby by the time you get to 43, you can go and do like something else amazing. And like I was, when she said that, I was absolutely sure that I would have had a baby by the time I was 43. I mean, like that wasn't a question. Like it was a nice like anecdote, but it wasn't happening to me. And there I was at 43. And I hadn't had this baby that I longed for. And so I decided I was going to do something like completely different. And that thing was what I describe now as my sort of part childhood dream, part midlife crisis, which is that I decided I was going to swim the English Channel. And I knew nothing like I could I'd enjoy part childhood dream because I'd enjoyed swimming as a child, but I was not a swimmer. I am not an athlete. I'd never done open water swimming ever, you know, like. I, all I really, you know, could do was like head up breaststroke. Um, and so I went on this like life-changing journey to swim the channel. And that became the subject of my second book, which Sarah wrote to me really lovely and lovelily, if that's a word, and said she was reading. Thank you, Sarah. Um, and um, that's called, that book was called 21 Miles, which we might talk about in a bit more detail, given that Sarah's reading it. So I won't say too much more about it now. And then it sort of really started this this other thing which again we might talk about in more detail which is like using these big endurance challenges that I've subsequently done starting with the channel to try and transform my life into um into the life that I can have you know like the quote I live my life by is by the writer Kazu Ishiguro the Japanese writer which is there is another life I might have had, but I am having this one. And I just love that quote because the other life I might have had was to be a mother and I'll never get over that, that that didn't, like a biological mother didn't happen for me. But I'm living another amazing life. And that has involved, um, you know, uh, writing books, but also, uh, which would never have happened without all this, I don't think, but also taking on these amazing challenges. So swimming the channel, then I ran the London Marathon and I am just back from summiting Everest. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in more detail. So that is, I'm so sorry, that is a long introduction. That's why it's really difficult to describe what I am, but that is me in a sort of rather large nutshell. <laughs> well, that, that's why we got you on the show, Jessica, because that we all know this. And so we thought, oh, we've got to... The, these two girls here are fangirling out right now, I can tell you. Because <laughs> we, yeah, cool. we just think you're tremendous. <laughs> yeah, I'm just getting Vicky to find my copy of the book so I can, well, our oh. copy of the book so I can wave it too. We have actually done it. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but please don't hang on me because I am just struggling through life like everybody else. I mean, I know it all looks mm. shiny, but I am just struggling through life like everybody else, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. it comes over in what you said. It's that there's so many things that I'm I'm scribbling down stuff here um, because of what you were talking about, and that there's moments I think that when you created something, fertility first being one of them, but also 21 miles, all the writing that you have done are kind of pivotal moments. I think for lots of people, but then that's true of I think many of our guests on here. 
yeah and might debate possibly the podcast perhaps the full stop too but people yeah. find things and they go okay that's the thing that is the thing that that either inspires or brings comfort or a degree of humanity to something that's quite um I think certainly when I've spoken to you and I've heard you list I've listened to you several times over the past or the years that we've known each other um and it's having gone through IVF as well it's so clinical it's so regimented and sometimes it's quite hard to bring to bear the personal effect of that how the impact of it is just grueling beyond anything because it can feel like statistics I mean I quote statistics about IVF and I know that you have as well but actually behind it there is a person and there are you know other people numerous people around the world affected by that and their friends their families their colleagues everyone it's like a ripple effect out and what I found was so for me that had so much meaning was that you were the first person that I had met who actually put some humanity into that story of something that actually previously was so clinical and that kind of created a voice for me too which then creates a voice for other people because we're all kind of pulling each other along somewhere and giving some kind of life to these stories and that matters so much you know fertility fest was huge like that Mm -hmm. those books are huge like that you know they, they they create a platform and a little bit of kind of courage I think for other people to follow that too so yeah oh bless you Bernice I mean I I think it's interesting because one of the things that I've I mean obviously and I'm sure you you've all experienced this because I think this is the truth of the experience and actually this relates to something that I actually started saying and then I started saying something else but like we're all very very private and secretive about it initially I think Mm. Um, and then when you come out and I do think that that is the right phrase um, you you suddenly realize you are not alone Um, and there is such sort of um, solidarity in that but what I've also realized and this is the thing that I was going to start saying before I segued back is that um, you know what I've also realized is that everyone's story is different And that's why we do need to hear all the stories. Um, I think that's real. And that's why sort of a podcast like yours and interviewing lots of people, you know, is so important. And and I try to do that with Fertility Fest as well. I wanted to hear the full facet of the story. It doesn't look just like one thing. Um, And uh, and IVF isn't just success, but IVF isn't just failure either. You know, it's it's really important that both those things are recognised. Um, but but I think within these stories, there are always some sort of anchors of truth, uh, mm-hmm. anchors of shared experience that everybody goes through. And, you know, I think that I mean, I'm not saying everybody, everybody, but like, you know, the secretive thing, the shame thing, the privacy thing is a very, very common experience that um, that that people can connect with when you, you're brave enough to say, you know, like this is me, you know, me too. I think that excuse me I think that comes across in 21 miles doesn't it the fact that you've gone I want to hear the good the bad the ugly of motherhood and I think you know you sort of you read it and you you don't want to see all the shiny stuff that you go well this is this is my story and this is the happy ending and I think that's what I love about this book is the fact that you spoke to lots of different women with lots of different lifestyles viewpoints around children some of them not uh shiny and I think that's that has 
that is a really good thing. You don't hear that voice. Do you go, well, actually, I'm a mum, but actually, I'm not that maternal. Mm. And I think that a lot of that, a lot of what you're talking about there shines through in the 21 miles. It's not just a story about swimming the channel. It's also this other side of, well, look, this this very personal story sitting behind it. And actually, I needed to find out that everything wasn't shiny with that other life I could have lived. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, you've you've really sort of described the premise of the book, Sarah, there, which is that, you know, I was coming out of 11 rounds of IVF, decided I needed to do something different decided that I was going to go on this crazy journey to swim the channel which like is crazy um and 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 amazing um and 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 just there's just this little sort of interesting thing which is that I had no idea about which is that in order to um be a, a classified as an official channel swimmer you can't wear a wetsuit if you want to swim the channel because captain matthew webb who first swam the channel in 1875 didn't wear a wetsuit so um you can only wear a, like a costume and a hat and goggles and you know that is the challenge of the channel because it's cold in there and so the only way that you can sort of like stave off the cold is to have a little bit of human padding mm-hmm. so that's what sort of generated this idea what well, this this challenge I've taken on, which is nuts, you know, but it is also a license to eat, which is my like joy, my unadulterated joy in life. Um, and so I'm going to so that so what if I um, met and ate with 21 famous women um, to to try and get fat to swim the channel and ask them the question does motherhood make you happy and so the story is as much about exactly as you say the journey to swim the channel um, and everything that gave me but also this journey to find and meet these 21 women and I, I really wanted a whole gamut of experience and I got it and you're absolutely right the thing I mean there is a conclusion to the book as to the question which is does motherhood make you happy which you know like I always say to people read the book and see it and it's sort of you know it's it's treat it's handled lightly and hopefully wittily so um so it's not a like a big this is my <laughs> this I have found the answer it isn't like that at all um but what I what so I won't say what that is I'd rather people read it and and hopefully enjoy the reading experience but what I will say is that I learned from all these women that like everyone has their hard stuff in life you know everyone has their pain and mine is that I couldn't have a my own biological baby with the man that I loved and that is my profound pain that I will be living with for the rest of my life I I am never getting over it ever you know even with all these other things that I've done and I love my life right now I absolutely love my life but doesn't mean to say that I do not have a massive pain in my heart um and um but like everyone does everyone does everyone has something and it looks different you know sometimes you've lost someone you've loved too early or sometimes you feel like you haven't achieved your potential in life or you know it looks like all sorts of different things but I really profoundly believe in that sort of tenant which is life is a struggle for everyone and it's like how do you struggle well um and and I think that I can say 
like I have learned to struggle well. And that is the thing that I, you know, like I have this phrase, live big and brave, which I'm sort of, you know, um, trying to sort of promote. And like, and that is the thing that I'm sort of, if I have a sort of mission right now in the world, it's like, you know, struggle well, you can, it's possible. Doesn't mean the pain's going anywhere. Wow, <laughs> that's a message for our times, isn't it? You just stunned three of us into silence. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well done. That doesn't happen very often, if ever. Oh, it was either it was either silence. I thought either like the technology is not working, or I am I am so boring right now that they thought. You, isn't it? I, I was writing actually something for Steph for World Child this week, of which you, Michael, and I are ambassadors of, and there's a degree of that accountability that I promised her I would do this thing and I was writing how it's like a bag of grief I always say the bag of grief this is the best way I can I can kind of picture any the visualization that it's a bag of grief that I carry and sometimes it will weigh heavy on some days and other days that I have to reach for help and other days it's light but it's always there I know it's there it doesn't mean to say that you know there's I, I was under the illusion, I goes going back to your conversation about being 43, and that's the magic number. And mine was someone telling me that, well, at the end of it, or you can get a dog. <laughs> can work out, get a dog. And of course, I thought was put pressure on this dog. And of course, I, I have a dog. I have a very lovely rescue who rescued me, Lady Molly Lickalot. I love her to bits. But actually, I was in that kind of thing where I thought, oh, well, that's fine now. I'm going to be all right. And of course, yeah epically kind of crashed in in quite a big way um as way back in the very on the very first podcast I talk about it but it was just not necessarily you you get to a point where perhaps somebody has unconsciously given you a milestone that you perhaps never kind of realized was that bigger kind of thing that actually then you get to that point and think oh oh okay I've got to the end I have no child the IVF stopped oh dog or whatever else it is that you think you need yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah. But actually, you know, it's, it's learning to, as you say, it's learning to struggle well. It's it's knowing that, that you know, that whatever the things you do next, it doesn't necessarily kind of fill that gap. That gap is always going to be there. It's le- learning to live with it and learning to live with it in a way that, you know, you, you can kind of, I don't know, manage. Manage is an awful word, isn't it? It's too businessy, but yeah articulated that so well I yeah but so have you and and actually I think like the dog is a a, like a beautiful um thing too because it like I do think like pets and the animals in our lives are really healing and important in the same way that like nature has been for me you know like that's Mm -hmm. like the sea and mountains in particular um uh, you know, have have like been really, really important. So it, even though it they don't eclipse the pain, they are these th- you, finding your thing is important. It really is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it might it might be that people don't find it for a while. Mm. It might be they find different things, or they find different things because you know, I, I just as I was saying the sea and the mountains, I thought like, how could I not just say writing? Because actually, writing like 
it has been um, it weirdly, oh God, this is going to get deep now. And I, I do worry that I can't always be entirely clear about my philosophy when I'm still working it out. But like in some respects, doing extreme challenges like swimming the channel and um, climbing mountains, climbing Everest, um, as an unlikely athlete, as not someone who relishes these challenges, has been, they have been my version of cutting myself you know like I do think I mean I've never been in a situation where I have self like traditionally self-harmed but I from my understanding of it self-harm is you know like I think comes out of a sort of wanting to feel the pain and feeling better from the pain so in some respects those huge extreme challenges as someone who finds that very very difficult has been my version of that and writing actually which has been my total bliss and joy has been um has has been the thing that I I've I've loved um but for me um so just sort of in answer to what you said you know like it could take a while to find something or it could be more than one thing and they can look different you know the things that you find don't always it's not just about finding joy always you know sometimes something that doesn't bring you initial joy can or or immediate joy like can also be really important in the process of life I think completely yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm really struck by this struggle. Well, is that is is that the driving force then? Because you've gone from swimming, um, and then you've gone right. I'm going to climb mountains, and they feel very, very different. Like the self harm analogy, you know. Obviously, I know a little bit about self harm because of what I do as a counsellor. But it seems to me that they they are so different in terms of one swimming, obviously, but one's climbing. Yeah. It's not like you've channeled and gone. I'm going to devote myself completely to swimming, even though it was something in my childhood. Yeah. So is it that you have to struggle well all the time? Well, they are very different as physical challenges. Um, But there are some similarities. I mean, you've asked a question in true good therapist style there, Sarah, that makes me question my own motivation. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And obviously I'm still sort of working it out um but I think there are uh, but I, I do I mean that's one thing when you don't have children which I sort of feel I do sometimes feel very sad about which is that you have a lot of time to think about yourself right I, I think that's one of the things that is a it is it's sad it's sad for me which is I mean obviously that's my choice that I've I, I've focused on like living my own best life rather than looking at other ways of becoming you know a parent or other or or caring um responsibilities although I do look after my 90 year old mother so I do have some caring responsibilities but um but yeah I I think there are some similarities in them in that I've taken on big endurance challenges so they're both big uh they look very different as sports and technical challenges but they are both big the two iconic endurance challenges really on the planet but the other really important thing for me, which has been a, like a massive process of learning and coming to terms for me, is that they are challenges in nature. And 
as as you I don't know where you've got to in the in 21 miles Sarah but there's a um a really critical moment in the story where I attempt to channel relay before I attempt to solo which doesn't which doesn't work out because the sea gets really rough when we get taken out of the water and that is the point the first point when I realize that swimming the channel is just like IVF like the outcome doesn't matter how hard I try, but the outcome is out of my control. Um, and because something bigger than me is at char- in charge, nature. And in the case of the channel, the sea, but Everest is exactly the same. Something bigger than you decides whether you will climb the mountain. And that is her, Everest, or as I call her by her Tibetan name, Chomalungma. And so, um, so I think, and that has been really, so, so yes, they are very different, but there are parallels. And this conversation that I have been having with nature um, has become a really important theme in my life, which is accepting that there is, and I suppose it's a sort of my version of faith or spirituality, you know, like, because I'm not conventionally religion, religious, I, you know, I, I don't have a conventional religion, but I definitely sort of believe in, um, believe in something, I, you know, like, uh, believe in, when I was, I was saying I believe in something is wrong again, but I sort of, you know, I believe in nature, <laughs> I, I believe in my significance in the cosmos and that something it's not God's plan or anything like that anything like that I'd really it, it's it's about like um understanding that there is something bigger than me in charge something more important than all of us as individuals um, and that has been really important for me and and they, and these two challenges have really helped me with that Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm blown away by how deep these answers are. I'm curious, sorry. though. Sorry, yeah. Sarah. I, I like One thing I ought to have told you maybe in advance is that everyone, all my close friends, says Jessica doesn't do small talk. She only does. <laughs> I, love, I love that, though. I love that. I mean, it's kind of we've had, uh, obviously, we had Rob on. Um, I've lost track of the, the time frame, but we had Rob on, who is very, you know, he's very much the same, but his thing is, is kind of been swimming. But his ethos is very different to yours. So yours is, it, I am very with the spiritual. This thing is bigger than me. Uh, I don't have control. Um, you know, the disappointments along the way. And it's kind of those parallels. But I was, I was wondering, are you okay to talk about the Everest? Because I know that that has been a huge, huge multifaceted challenge as well, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. Well, First of all, it took me six years <laughs> and I was never expecting, you know, when I, when I, I had this dream that I wanted to complete this thing, which is called the Pond Peak Challenge, which is swimming the English Channel and climbing Mount Everest, which only a handful of people in history have done. Um, and, and that was partly sort of driven by the fact that like the, the channel experience had been so amazing but also um you know I I had the double loss of the um that I went through all this 
11 rounds of IVF. And, I, you know, I, I really feel that the swimming the channel was a really important part of the process of sort of come, uh, coming to... I'm going to use the word coming to terms for want of a better word. And then my relationship broke with my partner of 14 years, 16 years broke down. Um, And, um, and so I had like a loss upon loss. So the journey to Everest was very much about then coming to terms with that. But like, I had no idea it was going to take as long as it did. I mean, I was originally supposed to go to the mountain in 2020, two weeks before I was due to leave. It was shut down due to COVID. I did go in 2021, but it was the worst, one of the worst seasons ever on the mountain. And our expedition was shut down because our Sherpa team got COVID. Um, But also there was terrible weather. um, We had a lot of cyclone issues. And also I got a really bad chest infection. But I learned from that that I... I learned a lot about what it is to climb that mountain. I mean, and I had climbed the mountain in the sense that I had been on her. And I think like, um, I think it's really important to say that like, I don't think mountains are always, have to always be about summiting, you know, like I, it's, but I sort of knew after 2021 that I did have another attempt in me. Um, and I, I wanted to try again. I felt like I hadn't reached the destination. The journey hadn't reached its conclusion, whatever that looked like. And I, I'm not saying for a moment that the destination had to be the top of the world, um, because in actual fact, I did get to the top of the world this year in 2022, and it didn't look how I thought I was. It was going to look. Um, well, you know, I'm not saying the, the view from the top, but um, as you've referred to, it was sort of eight days which were the most terrifying and difficult of my life you know um and uh and I you know like you I, I, it wasn't what I imagined was going to happen but that's why I think this sort of thing about struggling well is so important because um you know it it, it was a struggle even though it was successful um and so to be honest, um, I'm still processing exactly what happened. I'm currently writing my third book, very excitingly, which I'm sort of seeing as the third in a trilogy, the final sort of um, book in, even though they're all, they can all be read independently, absolutely. Um, I think it's the third, the, the final one I'll certainly write for quite a while as me as the central narrator. And I've been working on the book for six years. And um, I've actually just literally in the last couple of days completed the first draft. So, and I left the summit bid um, to the very um, to the very end because it was the hardest thing to write. So I, I am feeling like I'm really processing it. Um, and and I, 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 I feel like I can't say too much about it at this stage, but what I will say is this, is that um, when I got down from the mountain, like I told a few people I'd summited, a lot of people didn't even know that I'd gone back to Nepal. I put what I describe as the obligatory post on social media, but I mean, I don't, I I sort of did that in a blur. I mean, I then didn't even, like, I then sort of basically shut down and didn't look at social media again for weeks. Um, I then didn't speak, when I was still in Nepal, I didn't speak to anybody. And when I got home, I hardly left my house. I was in shell shock. 
Um, and the reason for this is, um, is that the summit bid had been so hard. And I, I've now got to the point where I sort of describe it in three stages. So there was going up to the top, which was really like just getting to the top was not straightforward first of all that's all I'll say on that then going down I had a free I was involved in a freak accident and that is the bit that I have now if anyone's listening to this I have now written uh, a sort of essentially a blog post which you can read where about uh, where I've said a bit more about the story and I did I have disclosed that I broke my leg on the way down I mean obviously I did not know that I had broken my leg at the time, but I got hit um, in the death zone, which is 8,000 meters. So above camp four on, um, by, a, by an oxygen bottle free in a freak accident and it fractured my fibula. Um, and there is no rescue at that height on the mountain. Um, I then subsequently, and I haven't written about this, but I will say it got altitude or snow blindness and um, at camp four, which again is at 8,000 meters. I mean, and I, I like, were well, you talked earlier, Sarah, about your car crash? And I, I really feel for you because um, that I did look death in the face at that point um, because I, I couldn't walk well, I couldn't hardly walk and I'd gone blind, but that was, it was unfortunately temporary, uh, fortunately temporary. Anyway, I got down, but there is a third part of the story, which is the hardest. And um, the thing that I'm really not going to say anything about, but is what's so difficult is that there was a lot of moral injury on the mountain. Um, And it it is partly, I'm I'm sad to say this, but I I don't think it would have happened if I wasn't a middle-aged woman and and not essentially a non-mountaineer. And... um, just, you know, trying to struggle well, you know, and uh, turn my life into something good for me and other people. And, and I, you know, I can feel the emotion in my voice right now as I'm saying it. So, um, and what is really hard, and in a way, you know, like actually, again, there's similarity. I hadn't even thought about this. I mean, actually, this is the first time I've said as much as I've just said. Um, and uh, I hadn't even thought about this before, but actually you're going to make me need to go away and think about this because in a way it's sort of like there are again parallels with the IVF journey, like the the, the, the physical injury of not being able to get um, pregnant, but then the, the emotional pain of other thing, of it as well and, and all that goes with that. And, and this was both, I had both a physical and an emotional injury up there. And um, that's been really hard. And for a while, and, th- and this is why, you know, like I went into essentially hiding when I got down and I wasn't all over the internet going, yes, I've climbed to the top of the world. And why I also said at the beginning, like, you know, like, I know it all looks really shiny, but it isn't like my life is not shiny. Even when the shiny stuff happens, somehow the universe gives me stuff that is really, really, really not shiny. Um, But like, uh, I also sort of celebrate that in a way, you know, like, and I, and I just sort of like, and I suppose that's what my work has become, you know, and this sort of like segues right back to the beginning that like, I, like I'm trying to live my life for me, but if, I can help other people through my own story. Like then I leave the world a better place and I'm just trying to be a better person for me and the world, you know, and in a small way, you know, 
And in a world where like so many, so much is bad, you know, that's what I just encourage everyone. Just try and make like whatever your story in life, whatever your pain, just try and make the world a little bit better for you and other people. That's my story. Thank you so much, Jessica. I could really hear the emotion. Thank you for just, yeah, that's amazing. It's amazing. Thank you. That's very special. And I think, yeah, can hear the, the emotion in your voice. An awful lot to go through and to unpack, isn't it, as well? And to think about and reflect on, that's, that's a lot. Thank you. You're welcome. Yet again, I'm just gobsmacked. I'm just, oh, I've got no words. It's Listening to what you have to say is um, quite profound. Thank mm. you. But relatable, I think, as well. Not mm. that we've all gone through, <laughs> I don't know anyone else that's has done the things that you have done, but they are relatable. It does go back, isn't it? It is the, mm. yeah, the, the trauma, I think. I mean, Sarah, you talk an awful lot about that, and I know you've got so much more experience and, and, and wisdom on that, but it, it's the trauma of... I don't know, I sometimes think that people think that maybe we all have a lot more resilience than maybe we we, we have. Because oh, you went through this, and you you are used to grief, mm. and um, you know, and actually, no, human, yeah. everybody else. Yeah. Well, that is true, um, and and I think I'd answer that with two things. I mean, firstly, I'd say, yeah, I am really, really conscious that it does look like I've done these extraordinary things, but like I am a person of extremes. Like I went through 11 rounds of IVF, that is the extreme end of the spectrum. So it sort of makes sense to me and hopefully the world that I might go and do things like swim the channel and climb Everest as a sort of antidote. Um, but um, so, so, so I am that. But what I would say on the resilience thing, Berenice, is that I actually do feel quite resilient. I, 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 I feel emotion and pain and struggle. But I, I think that the IVF and the channel and the, um, and the mountains and, and, you know, to be honest, writing my books. Because when my first book came out, um, like everyone was like, oh, well, no one wants a story without a happy ending. You're not, unless you're a celebrity, of course. <laughs> and when my second, when I was bringing my second book about, well, no one wants a story about swimming the channel and interviewing famous women about motherhood. Where do we put that on the shelf? <laughs> and, when, and when my next book comes out, and I know I'll get it again, you know, which is, well, no one wants a mountaineering adventure story with, you know, like with with your like, unlike, well, they want an unlikely athlete adventure story. But my, my, my third book is about music and mountains. It's about going on a dual adventure of climbing mountains and music listening to music and um they'll say oh no one wants that and so but I I sometimes feel like all these sort of like you know challenges that I face whatever they look like like that they just I, I just sort of feel like I have this sort of I mean I can't well, this is a podcast so people are listening so they can't see what I'm doing right now but like I I have this like rod of steel across me and I just think you know I'm just getting stronger. I'm just getting stronger and stronger and stronger every day. 
And um, so, so actually, if that's okay to challenge the thing about resilience, you know, it doesn't mean that I don't have sadness and pain, but I do feel bloody strong these days. Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> Good. Good. Yeah. I think, and I think that's it, isn't it? We kind of, I can remember being asked, oh God, about mm, six, seven, seven years ago, something like that, by somebody um, who meant well, I think, and I think I meant well, you know, you mean well with things, to do a talk on resilience. Um, I was just utterly unprepared for it because I thought, what have I ever done? <laughs> what, what have I done? Um, and it was just at like, the wrong time for me to do that. Um, but what I found is that now it's a much easier kind of word to deal with um, because of just small steps. Um, in fact, in the piece I've written, I actually quoted you in that about when I talk to design students who I mentor and they first come in and they think, oh, my God, right, OK, I've got this tiny little bit of portfolio. How do I get to be a designer? What do I do? How do I do that? And I kind of I, so it's a bit like, how do you climb Everest in slippers? And I occasionally kind of like, well, actually, this is person I know, Jessica Hepburn, and you want to read 21 miles because yeah. actually, you know, you start with, you know, with something small. And then yeah. you're going and you're going and you build and you build and you build. And the other analogy is how to eat an elephant one bite. Yeah, but, you know, I don't eat elephants at all meat. So <laughs> I thought it's a bit inappropriate. But it is that kind of, you know, what, what people, listeners might think, oh, well, how does that relate to me? How does all this relate? Often in the way that people might say, well, how does the podcast relate to them? You know, because you do a podcast, you know, and it's this minor kind of like celebrity, tiny, tiny celebrity status with things. Um, but actually it's just a tiny step so if someone's listening to this and thinking oh well okay well childless week you know obviously for some people they've written their first thing maybe this year um they might have written something last year they might be the first time listening to something like the podcast might be the first time writing something for World childless week by the time you hear this the deadline would have passed everybody but you know you can you can get involved by by being part of that audience as well and it's it's just a tiny thing and that everything's relatable and it's not necessarily making you kind of um bindishad recalls it like a ball of light but it is kind of creating some degree of kind of armor i think and that she said that rod of steel and um, bindi who's been on yeah. before does a ball of light um with um surrounded by metal and 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 crystals and and it's just quite an amazing thing because it does actually make you sit up a bit straighter in the meditation and think yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Me. I think that's beautiful and um I'm actually listening to you talk there made me think about well what do, how, what do I think and and again this te- this this sort of takes us right back to the beginning of where we started and what I am you know like I, I'm thinking more and more like of myself as sort of an alternative adventurer um and in a way like I that's that's how I approach life as an adventure. And I, I'd sort of maybe say in response to what you've just said, you know, that's also a way of looking at whatever you, you whatever you might want to do, even if it seems ginormous, you know, don't, don't look at the, what the destination is or what you want the destination to be right now. Just think about yourself going on an adventure and taking one step into the unknown you know because that's what an adventure is you know something that you it's not it's not walking to the shops that you do every day it's not but it looks different I mean this is you know this is um what I say at the end of the the overture or the um opening to my new book you know like 
what I want to do is encourage people to go on an adventure. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that will be high and far away. It might be Everest. And sometimes it will be closer to home and in your head. And for me, that was what I was listening to do, you know, like which anyone can do, you know, like uh, and find your adventure in life because like adventures change your life for the better. And and in a way, you know, like when I don't regret my 11 rounds of IVF. I don't regret my unrequited PSU of motherhood. That was an adventure. It was an adventure who made me who I am today. And and I like who I am today. I mean, I want to be a better person. I get up every morning and go, how can I be a better person today, you know, for myself and other people? But like most of the time, I know that I'm a, a loving person just trying to do my best, you know, in this short time I have on this planet and having, you know, some amazing experiences because I'm prepared to like get out of my comfort zone and go on a little adventure yeah sorry I'm, I'm starting to feel like I'm being boring now should we quit? No, no. Really, really what <laughs> what's really interesting about what when you were coming on here and Michael said about the introduction and I wrote down that actually it's interesting that I didn't think of you an IVF festival I thought about fertility fest I thought about adventuring even though you and I obviously share the, the extremes of IVF as well. I've been through more than one round as well. But I actually thought of you in so many different ways, which oh. I think is quite incredible, really. Although we could have automatically gone straight to that point of, well, OK, IVF. But like you, I think maybe there's an element of kind of like owning that part of who oh. we are. I don't regret it. You know, no, I don't think no, anyone should regret their roots to wherever we are in this space. And they're all so varied. But yes, it's I don't regret it. It's made me into a a different person. Yeah. And probably actually a better person because I have a lot more empathy than I might have had before. And it's that yeah, that same store, same what was it? Same same swimming pool, same storm. Same storm. That's it. Yeah. Same storm, different boats is how I sort of see it with parent friends as well and other people in our lives, but also other people in our community too. We all end up in this space, we're all listening because majority of our listeners don't have children. Some do and listen because they want to know more about mm-hmm. our guests and about our stories. But actually it's it's a different different kind of boat that we're in all in this big storm and life's complicated and out there right now the world is pretty pretty pants it's not very nice no no it's Mm. not and it's also a wonderful world to use to use a a musical analogy Um, I like that one yes (laughs) (laughs) because it because it is both you know yeah that's that's the thing about like you know like life is life is you know wonderful and also life is a struggle you know it is the world is wonderful and it's also terrible you know it is like both these things yeah so and embracing that is the key to life I reckon yeah Michael's doing that I've seen a sneak preview um which will probably be out anyway and it's Michael's video on celebrating us that he's created for World Childless Week and apart from the fact that he's he's amazing and has an alternative career in video production frankly 
um, as well as podcasting and all the other things that he does that are incredible. But one of the most amazing things about just this uncut, it's just just literally the, the draft of it, um, for which I'm so privileged to see that, is actually just all the people from around the world. And, and where they, a little bit snippet of where they live. Mm. And um, actually the intro with Michael and where he lives and what you see of, of <laughs> you're just like so cool, Michael, in your car, driving around with your video on. <laughs> but it's just like you see where you live and you're like, oh my God, that's amazing. What a brilliant planet we live on too. And all the different places that people listen to. And there's a little map in the corner. I'm like, wow, oh my God. You listen there, oh, and you come in, you come down this, and it's it's incredible. So where we, can you get that? Where will we be able to get that, Michael? Where will we be able to see? Where it? is it? Um, it'll eventually sit on my YouTube channel, but it'll be uh, released in World Charters Week for We Are Worthy Day. Brilliant. So it's um, it is. I've asked people to give uh, words of encouragement, words of hope, um, thank someone in the community, but also. If there's something you're proud of, tell us. Yeah. Because we don't normally get that opportunity. And so I think that's important to give, uh, like you on, on the show now, Jessica, is, is, you know, people will get so much from listening to your story, like you said in the beginning. You know, it's, it's about our different stories. So I just wanted to catch those. And right. some people have been extremely generous. With what they've shared. Brilliant. Oh, I can't, I'm really looking forward to seeing it. And I just thought I was wanted to say one other thing, which in a way was what um a riff of what you were saying, Berenice, earlier, about I think also when we come out, what I experience when you come out and um and 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 sort of claim your or celebrate your childlessness. What you also realise, well, certainly for me, what I realised is that when I was so ashamed of it and so secretive about it, it sort of felt like it was all of me, you know? And the moment I came out to the world through my first book and said, this is my story, like suddenly it became a much smaller part of me and sort of freed me to be the multifaceted human being that I am. So yeah, when you were saying, when I think of you, I think of, you know, your books or Fertility Fest or you being an adventurer. I think that's just amazing because that is what I want. You know, I, I've never seen myself. And if I'm honest, I don't want to be a childless a- a- activist or, 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 you know, like I, I'm a sort of an activist to struggle well, you know, with whatever your pain is, you know, and, um, and, and this happens to be my pain, but I don't really see myself as a sort of childless person, weirdly, even though I know that I am, because it is a part of who it's not all, it's not my whole identity. And I think one of the, um, the problems is with with this pain is it can feel like it becomes your whole identity and if it, if you want it to be your whole identity that's fine that is fine but if you don't that is fine too and try and love it for the small part of it who it is in you you know mm. like and then love the rest as well and enjoy the rest you know 
because it's it isn't everything that's funny because I remember when you interviewed me the question you asked me was oh, I can't remember the exact word in it something like would you would you oh, what was it? something like would you rather not have had your childlessness or something like that yeah, yeah. and we both went no I would rather yeah. have had it yeah. and it's the weirdest thing because you go how bizarre why am I yeah. saying this <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. you're so right aren't you because it's it's part of you and you wouldn't be you yeah that part so I'm curious so this struggle well I, I feel like it should be like some sort of tattoo that you have done <laughs> so like, I can I can see the mug I can we can, yes. we can get those made too struggle well mugs <laughs> You've got a water bottle there. No, I'm not the first person to say it. Yeah, but anyway. Uh, where, where does, um, so where does struggle well? Where, where are you going with this next, do you think? What is next on your, uh, your world plan or whatever yeah. it is you're planning? Well, sort of my number, the, the, well, when I got back from Everest, I was sitting in my bed writing my book you know it's been a glorious summer I know it's been too hot but it has been the weather has been glorious window open you know um got trees outside my window like they looked like translucent because there's no green on the mountain you know on Everest there's ice and snow and rock nothing grows that high and I was just like rejoicing in the wonder of the world and I and I'm 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 blaring on about this because in that moment I thought I am so happy right now, you know. I'm doing what I love. I'm writing about my adventure. I'm in my home in London, the London that I love. Um, and so like right now, like my aim is just to enjoy this a bit you know because it has been a six year journey and and what has been brilliant in a way I can't believe I'm saying what has been brilliant about my terrible summit bid um but like generally when you achieve um a goal um, in my experience there's often like a bit of an anti-climax afterwards you know um and it's just it's natural but it's like it's messy it's icky you know like because you think but I, I've just achieved a goal why do I feel so terrible um but weirdly because when I achieved my goal of climbing Everest I had a, a sort of different type of terrible because I didn't feel any sense of triumph or achievement the sort of in the sort of sense of achievement has come slowly you know it, it's grown I've it's just sort of like like a like a little plant has started to grow and so I'm sort of really enjoying that at the moment so so really at the moment I am writing I'm I'm writing this third book and then my sort of main aim is to like get it out into the world um, because of course writing I mean I know you have lots of writers on the podcast you know that there, there, there are two very different parts of writing if you want to publish I mean you don't have to write to publish I mean I'd encourage everyone to write just write you know like because it's really um therapeutic but if you are writing to publish um then there's the writing and then there's the publishing getting the book into the world and they're two different things and like I really want to enjoy try and enjoy that second process which I haven't obviously even begun yet um and then I want to write more like over the next um few years and I want to go on more adventures um but my adventures 
you know, like might look like different moving forward for a while. Like I was 50 in 2020 at the end of 2020. And um, I asked 50 of the closest people in my life to give me a challenge, you know, like I am a challenge taker. And they gave me a, like, a whole gamut of things. None of them were like really big things like climb a mountain, swim a sea, write a book, you know, like they know that I've done those. But they were things like go and learn how to make a butter croissant from scratch or um, go and uh, see the Northern Lights or, you know, like smaller um, or learn to do a TikTok dance, which I did at Christmas, you know. So I'm sort of like, I see adventure being part of this next decade of my life, but the adventures might look you know, different from what people know of me. Um, and I also see writing as a, as a as a really big part of what I want to do because it is my joy. But um, this book that I'm writing now, I certainly see as the last, as I said earlier, in the sort of stories of me as, a, as the central narrator. I'm sort of looking at, you know, m- maybe something that's more um, self-helpy and also maybe a novel, um beyond that but like I it takes me a long time to write a book so it won't be any time so I'm never going to be you know Mills and Boone knocking them out you know I there's a lot of thinking and that goes into it and writing anyway there we go oh thank you I love that message about adventures not having to be big I like that I I did um I did a list I love a list a to-do list (laughs) and I did 40 things on my 40th birthday and some of it was like uh learning Scottish Gaelic which I'm still doing um you know just little things that make life I don't know a little bit different because the days otherwise they're sort of like just sort of merge don't they unless you have those little things that spark a bit of interest or do something different yeah I love that. Well, you are definitely my ideal reader for my third book, Sarah. Not not oh. least because you've read Twenty One Miles, but it opens with this is a this is an adventure for list lovers. <laughs> I am a list lover. I mean, like as you're in both my first two books, like my love of lists um, comes through, but it it comes it's like massive in the third. <laughs> um, we love a, we love a list. Yeah. Oh, I love it. What is it about this? I, I, I oh. think we need to have a bit of philosophy at some point. Actually, that's something. Yeah, but I, why is it that we like lists as human beings? But then there's also a bit of a backlash against lists as well. I find, you know, like like there's a backlash against goals, you know. But I'm like, no, I'm celebrating the goal. I'm celebrating the list. But you're absolutely right. Your list can be small, and your you know, I've got, I'm practicing a new thing since getting back from Everest. Cause I used to have, I used to be the person like so many people that had a to-do list you could never get through, but mm-hmm. I have worked out that I can do 10 things in a day. And some of those are really, really, really small. I mean, sometimes it's nine, sometimes it's 11. And, and some of the things on those lists are really, really small things. Um, but they're important to me. Like I read every day um, and which like I, I, like I sometimes struggle to read, you know, I'm, I'm, I find it much easier to sort of watch a box set or whatever, but I really want to read. So it's on my list. Um, and um, so, yeah, I think have a list that's manageable and go on adventures that are small, you know, like mini what I call mini adventures. You do, they don't it don't they don't have to be big but they change your life for the better love it 
<laughs> everyone needs to set up a list now I think or yeah have a Trello board I'm very good I don't know what a Trello board can you tell me what oh, they're quite good Trello's free and you've got little cards and you can set up a list that says like to do and the one, one that will be in progress or whatever and you can move the list around little cards on this oh. and I use it for my business but I actually just might keep my clients in order to be fair um <laughs> In some way, lovely clients love you if you're listening. You're all lovely, um, but I need some degree of order. But I have a, a Trello list of trips I want to take in another life. Um, it's like a wall of virtual sticky notes. Which, yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah, and you can colour coordinate it, and you can put a nice, pretty picture in the background, which I always find quite satisfying as a you know being creative. But actually, yeah, the, just stuff on my list of things. <laughs> do I, I won't use excel i only use excel under extreme pressure if someone else has created something therefore cello is my opt-out um i have a friend who has a literally organizes the holidays in excel and it's lovely but it's terrifying because it's excel yeah but on the trello board and i'll look but that, you should get a commission because i have never heard of cello and i'm gonna go and look at it now i mean it's i am very yeah I'm very old school because I have um I do have I, well my new school is lists on Excel I have lots of lists on Excel but like my really important lists I keep in little notebooks by the side of my bed but like I have a drawer with all my lists like I've got you know lists of books I've read lists of films I've seen lists of countries I've visited like they're all lists my blessings book which I write in every day my resolutions I mean like I have tons of books um, and I've got a whole box of books behind me I mean they're so important like, they're my most precious possessions that like if I was running from the burning building I mean I think I wrote this in my first book I would take them with me they are they are my life you know um but tre- Trello did you say is it Trello, Trello with it yeah Trello yeah and don't Trello. you've done a bad thing to this girl <laughs> <laughs> well there you are I I I think it I think it's a legacy don't you think though these lists I mean I I kind of, I've got, I don't have piles of lists, but I've got piles of stuff I've drawn in. I've got art books everywhere, sketchbooks all over the place, half finished and some with writing in and some without. And I've started to pick them up again. And I find that um, for me, it's kind of like a, a leaving something. I suppose the podcast is to the point as well, you know, that years sure. I've gone, this will be somewhere lurking around in, probably Facebook would be kind of like dumped by then. It's a bit like um, kind of, what is it, like my friend? Friends reunited to be like that. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we have a better life without Facebook. But in, there'll be an archive, a something. And I guess that's also probably true as well of your writing. It's uh-huh. also leaving something that other people can take forward. And for the next generations, ironically, yeah. that's the weird thing I think that I've often, we've talked about here is that, you know, and that's the way I make it relatable sometimes to people who have children of their own is, well, this will impact other generations, future generations. This is why all the people that we have on the podcast, why we are important, why World Charters Week is important and all the other stuff that goes on, because actually it's not now, it's for the future. Because Absolutely. it's happened to more people. Yeah. Absolutely. And I really agree with that. And, you know, sometimes it's been hard, you know, like when you're making work in a in a in a genre or in a re- arena that is still quite marginalized, which, you know, childlessness, um, fertility has been, you know, sometimes you think like no one's interested, you know, like we've the very first fertility fest, you know, like 
I, I think three men and a dog came or three women and a dog, I should say. Um, and, um, you, you know, but you, you know that you're doing something not just for now, but for the future, you know, like for people in, you know, the future that, 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 that might be interested, that will be, I sure will be interested because we're living, you know, and Jodie Day, you know, who is the, the champion of childlessness would, you know, I'm sure say this, you know, we're li- living through a social change in terms of the increasing number for all sorts of reasons of childless people. So that is going to be really, really interesting for future generations. Mm, absolutely. I remember speaking to her at the Fertility Fest and um, we were talking about how at the time it was the 50 ways not to be a mother, with apologies to Paul Simon, of course, that one. And um, we said 80. And I think lately, um, hundreds, <laughs> hundreds yeah. and hundreds of reasons. And actually quite interesting that there is that kind of crossover, I think, with the child-free narrative as well. You know, there's very similar, difficult, less grief-stricken, but I think there's a sense of grief there too. People making very painful decisions about not having children because of the state of the planet. And there might be decisions they can control and make, but it doesn't mean to say that they're necessarily happy ones either. They are, we'd, we'd all like to have that freedom to choose. Um, so it goes back to kind of segues back to where you were about, you know, what you can control and what you can't control. Yeah. As well, and lots of stuff going on in the world that we can't control and and make painful choices. Yeah, I think that's brilliantly put, Berenice, because I think you're right. You know, I think there's loads of people who are not having children for ecological reasons that I probably ideally might would, you know, in a different world would would have wanted their own children. So, Mm. yeah, there is sadness there and sadness for the planet, Mm. obviously. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, I think had I been, I mean, this is probably disingenuous for the audience to say so, so I don't mean to cause any offence, but I think now if I was going through, oh, hard to imagine going through IVF now, but if I was, I actually, I don't think I would. This is the thing, this is the kind of dawning realisation that I've got is that actually right now, I don't know that I would. And I kind of look at people who are having children and think, oh, my God, you're brave. Mm. Because mm. I actually don't think that I would, I could, Mm. right Mm. now not because of any other reason than than just kind of there is there's hope out there for our world and there is people doing amazing things um there's incredible amounts of activism I think as well but it's a problem it's a very big problem um Mm. yeah it's it's a tough one so I I kind of you know mixed bittersweet feelings I think Mm-hmm. and you know all the people I know you know who are trying to get you know like my peers my school friends you know who've got teenage kids I mean who would want to have a like I mean yes I would want to have a teenage kid with all the problems yeah of course mm-hmm. I still choose that yeah but it isn't it's so different from I would say when I was that age like the things that young people have to deal with today I think it's so challenging it's been a pleasure yeah. oh thank you so much for having me I've really enjoyed it it's been really I do a lot of um interviews actually in lots of different spheres because obviously swimming ones now mountaineering ones and actually it, it's really special talking to people who understand you and I really felt that yeah. this morning so thank you oh thank you I, it's just yeah. a joy we we always do. I think we, we found that with Annie as well. I think the podcast that's out at the moment um, before this one goes out again, it's 
I think probably him and Rob as well, because Rob talked about adventuring and um and actually you end up with a different a different type of conversation because of the shared space that we are in. And that's very special to us as well. It's always an inspiration. Yeah. Yeah, so thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. We hope you found Jessica as compelling as we did. We'd love to hear from you if you were equally blown away by her stories and by this episode. If you want to find out more about Jessica, you can find her at www.jessicahepburn.com. If you'd like to find out more about our podcast or you have a great idea for a topic we've not covered or you want more of, we'd love to hear from you. We want this podcast to have as many voices from across our community as possible. So if something's missing or you just want a deeper dive on it, just let us know. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. And we also have a YouTube channel now too, along with our website at www.thefullstoppod.com. You can sign up to our listeners list at the website, which keeps you up to date on what we're up to. And if you'd like to, you can also donate to our work too. However, before I finish, as always, it's important to remind you, you're not alone. Well, you've been extremely generous. Thank you. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Right. Are you done with me now? Shall I say with you? Yeah. (laughs) Did Michael Sarah do you need to stay on or do we not need to stay on? I don't know. You got cats to go and tend to, Sarah. Is that all right? Yeah. I've been for a couple of weeks. (laughs) I've been saying. Did you only get in this morning? Who? Did you only get in this morning? No, no. We got in yesterday, um, but the cats were in Butlins until today. Oh. Okay. Yeah. You can imagine their joy at having gone to Bartlins. They're like, oh, shit, here again? <laughs> really? You bastards. <laughs> and then they don't want to come home. <laughs> yeah. Pickle things.